You're listening to Ottawa's Baseball Show. It's Around the Diamond with Diamond Dante and Mike Nellis on CKDJ 107.9, home of the Ottawa Champions. since June 18th, and it comes with two outs in the bottom of the eighth of game seven. Zobra stands, a base hit! Cubs will take the lead! Almora digging to the plate! Zobris delivers seven to six in the tenth! They've done it before. Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. Bryant, the Cubs win the World Series! Bryant makes the play! It's over! And the Cubs have finally won it all! 8-7 and 10! Welcome to episode 34 of Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9. Ottawa's new music. I'm your host, Diamond Dante doing this whole show uh, solo on this uh, beautiful weekend here at Algonquin College in the uh, CKDJ 107.9 studios. Uh, A jam-packed show for you coming up. That's why we're going to keep this first segment uh, very short, but I want to start things off uh, by talking about the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series the first time in 108 years that this team has won. Steve Bartman can now come out of his shell and come out of his home and celebrate with the Chicago Cubs, although he wasn't at the parade the other day. Uh, obviously a, a great moment uh, in not only in sports history but in baseball history as the Cubs finally, you know, break through that slump and, and win themselves a World Series. You know, you go look at, you know, Steve Bartman back in 2002 uh, you when the Florida Marlins ended up winning the World Series. You go back to um, even Harry Carey, one of the best broadcasters of all time, was uh, definitely someone that you know deserves to be looked at in, in that sense because he was there with the Cubs. And he was such a good broadcaster. He started off with the Cardinals, Harry Carey. Uh, actually, Hal Lanier, the manager for the Ottawa Champions, knew Harry uh, before he passed away. And then one of the best broadcasters uh, definitely deserves uh, something to talk about there. Ernie Banks, who just passed away last year, uh, was a, another great, great Cub of all time. You know, the list goes on and on of so many good players that have played for the organization, but have just gone through like almost like a little bit of a curse that happened with the Boston Red Sox. And Theo Epstein, the president, who who was the president of the Boston Red Sox in 2004, he helped break the, the Bambino's curse, Babe Ruth's curse, uh, that he put on the Red Sox. And he did it with the Cubs. So, I mean, it seems like this Theo Epstein is just, you know, whenever he kind of flips teams and goes over, you know, at the young age that he's at, always finds the way to bring a winning, you know, winning environment. And it started off with signing John Lester and, and bringing in Joe Madden and, and developing young talent from the system and then going out and getting, you know, some key pitching like John Lackey, Jason Hamill in the regular season. Uh, you look at Jake Arrieta. John Lester was absolutely outstanding, but Liam Hendrick deserves a lot more credit uh, than is given. So um, an excellent run for the Chicago Cubs, but uh, obviously a, a great World Series win for them. 
uh, taking down the Cleveland Indians. And as you just heard uh, in the the sound bites beforehand, it was you know Rajay Davis tying the game up, and I just jumped out of my seat watching it at home, uh, tying it up six uh, six in the in the eighth inning off Aroldis Chapman who was running on fumes he wasn't even hitting a, a hundred he was hitting 98 miles an hour Davis hits the home run and and you know what I want to give cl- credit to Cleveland you know they didn't have the most talented squad out there they've showed a lot of promise this year and and if they bring back Andrew Miller and, and you know get Jan Gomes back behind the plate with Perez as a backup um, and you know get that pitching staff to stay healthy with Carrasco and Salazar because they weren't there in the playoffs uh, I, I see great things you know and Kluber if he pitches like he did this year and like he did two years ago when he won the Cy Young um, then there's more great things to come and and you know the the Indians they just kept battling back they kept battling back they ended up scoring a run in the ninth but and then it was a ground out by Martinez and you know the bench went down because uh, I, I Terry Francona didn't have really much to work with so he brought in Martinez uh, he used a lot of pinch runners in that game so uh, it came down to Martinez's bat and Bryant made a nice play threw it over to first and you know that's the game and that's the World Series uh, but coming up next in the show, we're going to be joined with Quebec Capitals manager Pat Scalabrini. He played for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes uh, in 2001, then was played in the Baltimore Orioles system. He's a native of Quebec and is a you know Canadian baseball town. Played for Team Canada in 2003. Has a lot of great stories to talk about. A full 30-minute interview with Pat Scalabrini, and then to finish off the show, we're going to be joined with Junior Arroyo who is the star shortstop for the Rockland Boulders. That's all coming up next, later in the show. First, we'll talk with Pat Scalabrini here on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Hey, what's up? It's your boy Kenny Bryant from the Ottawa Champions. You're listening to Around the Diamond with my boy Diamond Dante on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to the 34th edition of Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9. Like always, I'm your host, Diamond Dantes. A lot of moves in the Can-Am League this week. It started off with the Quebec Capitals acquiring Miles Moeller from the Champions. That now completes a trade made earlier in the season that sent Derek Piles to Ottawa. That's why our guest this week is Quebec Capitals manager Pat Scalabrini. Patrick Scalabrini uh, during his playing days, played with the Quebec Capitals and Winnipeg Gold Eyes, but also spent time in the Orioles system in 2005. Pat, my fellow Italian, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now, uh, let me ask you, what do you know what part of uh, Italy your family is from? Uh, Lombardy, even though I've never uh, been myself, but uh, it was my great-grandfather who moved uh, to Canada straight from Lombardy. Awesome. Yeah, my family moved uh, from Canada to Toronto. Uh, they're from Calabria, which is uh, the, the boot. My mom, I'm first generation, I guess like your, no, your parents are, so uh, yeah. still got Italian blood, but I, I want to start things off by asking you about uh, the acquisition of Miles Mulder. Now, of course, you saw him from across the dugout throughout the season when Ottawa had played you guys at home and away. Um, did you feel... Like, when did you feel that this was the guy that you wanted in for in return for Derek Piles? Um, it was really early because we actually agreed on uh, on the player back back when we sent uh, Derek to Ottawa. So that was late June. So uh, we liked we liked Moeller from the beginning. I mean, I, I, I like to talk to my hitters and ask you know their feeling how how they they see the particular pitcher and stuff. And most of my guys were returning after facing Moeller, saying that he's real tough, that he hides the ball well, and all that. So when uh, when we started talking about uh, moving piles, uh, Moeller's the the guy I asked, uh, and uh, Hal was not 
really interested in moving him at the at the time, but uh, just really needed a hitter, so I actually uh, ended up uh, giving me the okay. So is it almost just like kind of you know giving Hal a phone call and saying, hey, listen, you still owe me a guy? Uh, no, actually, the, it, it's simpler than that. Like when we made the the actual move, the the, the Miles Moeller name was in the paperwork. Okay. Just we never uh, never came out with the name in the in the public. So at the end of the season, we just uh, finished up and published the, the the name. So so my question to you, Pat. Of course, you've been a manager for you know for six years now. So, you know, going back to 2010 when you first got the job with the Capitals, and you know Laplante moving up into the uh, the front office side of things. Is, is that how you know player to be named? later trades kind of work during the season and is it always kind of having that player in the paperwork and saying all right you're going to give me this guy in the off season, or is it just you know you giving a call in the off season, hey can we finish this trade or or sometimes maybe a player isn't given the other way how does it usually work yeah it's a it's a good question because it's a it's a it, there's a gray area at times uh in this particular trade it was a uh, simpler because we agreed on the player at the time and we just uh, included it in the paperwork but oftentimes you go for a good old player to be named later, and often it's pretty pretty complicated to agree on a on a specific player. So it's uh, both can be done. Obviously, it's a lot simpler when you can actually agree on the player before or while making the trade. Joining me is Pat Scalabrini, former infielder, uh, played with the Orioles system and uh, along with the Capitals and. Uh, Winnipeg Gold Eyes, the current manager of the Quebec Capitals. Now, Pat, I want to go back to the beginning of your career where you were, you know, you're with the Quebec Capitals, but in 2002 or 2001, um, you you went to them out, out of the University of Hawaii, I believe, and were a part of the Northern League. I mean, what, what kind of league was that at the time? To be honest, it was very similar to what it is today. I mean, there's a, there was a few weaker markets uh, which uh, disappeared after that, but I mean, it was they had the New Jerseys, the the, the Quebec, um, and uh, you know I was I was young, I was as you said, just right out of college. So I was learning uh, the game, playing with some veterans and all that. But it, it was pretty pretty uh, similar. I think it, the, the the caliber of play got a bit better just because uh, independent independent ball uh, gained some respect from you know uh, even affiliated teams and players all around. It's a lot more known, so a lot more players players uh, agree to play and want to keep playing. So uh, I think because of, because of that, the, the caliber of play is a bit better now. Now, you're from Quebec, of course, and you went to go play for the Quebec Capitals. How did, you, how, did you, how, how did you end up getting signed out of the University of Hawaii at that point? You know what? It's uh, I got pretty lucky. I mean, I had a pretty decent college career, but I didn't get drafted at the time, and I was I didn't know if there was any anything else for me after that. And then the the Capitals reached out to me. To be quite frank, mostly because I I was from there, and I had a pretty decent college career, as I said. So I was I was uh, lucky to. <laughs> to be from there, and they, they gave me an opportunity there. I had a rough first year, but then kind of figured out my game a bit after that. So I got a couple of opportunities to sign affiliated ball, and then you know I uh, played around a bit. So can you tell me if I'm saying this right? Uh, the, the town that you're from is Kotia Cook. Is that how you say it? <laughs> uh, yes and no. I'm uh, from Waterville, which is a small town close to Quetiquook, which is uh, where I went to high school. Yes. So is that you know not too far from Quebec City was did that ha- kind of have anything to do with it you know playing up in your high school days that you know management know anything about you at that point to go and end up signing you in 01 
Yeah, um, not necessarily. I mean, it's a good two and a half, three hours away from Quebec City. Uh, it's just uh, just like it is today. I mean, we uh, we are looking uh, for Quebec talent to to fill our roster a bit, just for for the obvious reasons. So I still do that do that today, even though it's not a, a kid that's from Quebec City. I'm looking for Quebec, the, the province talent, just you know, to have some some francophones, some some players uh, that the, uh, the the community, the, the the fans can identify to with. So then in 2000, and, you know, after the 2002 season at the age of 25, you had an excellent year, you know, 325 batting average in, in 68 odd, odd games. You went over to the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, which are part of the American Association now, are were part of a different league. The leagues have changed. They were part of the Northern League, which I believe, which is a higher up league than what Quebec was at that time. So you were being almost promoted to another league and also played well there. Went through, what went through your decision at that point to go from Quebec to Winnipeg? Um, lots. I mean, uh, I, I wanted a bit of a change of scenery. I, I always uh, really appreciated uh, uh, traveling and you know dis- discovering different parts of the world. Not that Winnipeg's that much different than Quebec, huh. but uh, I I, I kind of became a free agent because I I signed with the Cubs, uh, the Chicago Cubs, in the off season. Got released out of camp. That's why I was free agent. So I was able to sign with the Gold Eyes. And um, I was in the All-Star game the year before. Hal saw me there. I, I think we, we talked there. I think the connection kind of started there. So I uh, always heard great things about Winnipeg and everything. So I, I felt like it was going to be a good opportunity for me to go and try uh, try that league. And uh, obviously uh, never regretted that decision. Pat Scalabrini here with us on the round, Around the Diamond, the current manager of the Quebec Capitals of the Can-Am League. Now, Pat, when you went over in 2004 to, or 2003 and 2004 with the Gold Eyes, your manager was Hal Lanier. And Hal Lanier, you know, from me talking to him, not only in the dugout, but when he's came on my show, has said that he's never really had a problem and had a hard time at getting guys into affiliated ball. And he did that with you. Did that kind of go into your decision in, in coming over to the Gold Eyes, Hal kind of sitting down and saying, you know what, I think that you're a pretty good player and I can get you into affiliated ball? I mean... Uh- I'll be honest, uh, not really at that time. I mean, I know Hal's got obviously contacts and connections. Uh, I was always a believer that uh, you know if you do well, good things will happen. That was uh, kind of my thing, and uh, I had just gotten released by the Cubs, so I was a bit salty at that all world. So I just wanted to go to a good place, have have a good time, and have a chance to win the championship, which was the, the reason uh, I went there. And uh, you know. Things happen uh, happened to go well, and I got another opportunity with the Orioles, so I was uh, pretty happy with that as well. Now, what was how was your time in the Orioles system? You had spent uh, one season in 2005 in the Orioles system. You, you jumped from A to high A uh, pretty quickly there. What was that like for you? Because, of course, you were coming in as an infielder. You had jumped around a couple positions while you were there. What can you talk about your time with the Orioles system? Um, I had a blast. I mean, as a kid, my, my dream was kind of to play in the, in the major leagues like most kids that, that play baseball. Well, actually, my dream was to play in the NHL, but since I, I sucked <laughs> at hockey, I just had to to, to, to go to baseball. But, um, yeah, so it was kind of the beginning of my dream. I, I, I went and played professionally. I, you know, I still have some good memories of playing with guys that, you know, like the Nick Markakis, the Jim Johnsons that are still on the show today. So that was a chance for me to kind of, Try my dream and and you know be a part of that. I uh, 
only have really good things to say about the Orioles. Some some players don't really like that organization that that are going through. Personally, I had a blast. They treated me with a lot of respect. At the end of the day, I, I didn't get it done like I should have if I wanted to to, to keep moving up. But uh, again, no, I have no regrets. I had a blast, and uh, you know, I think my talent uh, took me as far as it could. Pat Scalabrini here with us on Around the Diamond, the current manager of the Quebec Capitals, also played in the Orioles system. Um, now, now that we're talking about playing in that system, I believe you had played with you know a couple Canadian guys, and that was Eric Bedard. Did you have a chance to kind of ra- interact with him while you were there? Um, a bit. He actually, uh, obviously, was uh, at higher levels. I mean, he just he came down for one start. Uh, a rehab started in high A when I was there. Uh, it was just cool to, to speak French, you know, on the field. And uh, <laughs> I think he, he, he was surprised to, to find uh, someone that, that spoke French on that team. But uh, he seemed like a classy uh, individual. He obviously uh, uh, provided us with a good spread after the game and all that. He had a really good start for us, and then uh, it was nowhere to be found. <laughs> so he got sent back up, of course. Well, you're right about that. Eric Bedard, of course, I believe from the Ottawa area as well, but spoke French uh, at that point, had been an excellent pitcher with the Orioles and uh, throughout the rest of his career. But I want to ask you about, you know, playing under a certain manager, and that was Hal Lanier, you know, who's been a, you know, great manager with the champions. Um, Obviously, probably a mentor to you in your earlier stages of your career, probably taught you a lot of things. And so what was it like to play under Hal Lanier, a guy who, you know, played in the major leagues and also managed at that level as well? I, uh, I loved every minute of it. I mean, Hal can be pretty tough. Hal is a winner. He hates losing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, re- I remember the, the the days where we weren't doing uh, we weren't doing as well. Uh, Hal was not a happy camper. He was pretty, he got pretty <laughs> grouchy, and I think he's still the same in Ottawa. So um, that was uh, parts of uh, what I remember uh, from him. But I mean, I, I talked to him and I told him this year after he, he got the manager of the year that uh, you know I was I was proud of him. I, uh, I I base kind of what I'm doing today a lot on what he what he taught me and how he was in Winnipeg. Because for me, you know, as part of my process, it's it's what a manager is, right? So. Uh, a lot of things I do today was kind of uh, kind of mimicking what uh, what Hal uh, does or what was the, what he, what he was doing back then. Anyways, obviously you you got your own style and all that, but uh, you know again a lot of respect for him. I uh, do a lot. Of, I try to do a lot of things like he he does, and uh, hopefully that's that's gonna that did bring me some some success and it's gonna bring me some more in the in the future. Right after the Orioles system, you'd went back to Quebec. A little homecoming there, eh? Yeah, I mean, I actually played a season in St. Paul and then uh, was about to retire. And then Michelle, my, my boss now, kind of brought me back in, uh, offered me the hitting coach job, just like Sebastian Boucher is doing now. And uh, just realized how much I loved the game. And I, uh, you know, uh, stuck around and uh, was uh, fortunate enough to, to get another job where I could stick around, uh, even as I'm getting uh, old and fat. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that you're fat, but... <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but, of course, one thing that I want to mention, especially for the listeners out there that don't know, is that, you know, you are a very productive player. Uh, over 300 for most of your career. You have a career 300 average in, uh, in all levels. And, you're, you know, we're talking about, you know, yourself who n- played very good baseball consistently at, uh, at the pro level. So when did you feel that it was time to call it quits and go into the managerial job? Because... Not only in your last season you hit 354 as well, I mean in 12 games, but the year before that you had, you know, hit 270. When did you feel that it was time to, you know, 
put you know hang up the cleats and say you know what I want to be a manager? Uh, it's it's good question. It's a couple of things. Um, the first was when I when I played in the with the Orioles. Uh, I was playing every day, hitting every day with the Nick Markakis and a couple of guys, and uh, you know taking BP with these guys every day. I kind of realized that you know I, I didn't maybe I didn't I didn't have it as far as enough to go to the major leagues and have an impact. Like looking at again these guys hitting home runs wherever they wanted, pretty much any time they wanted in BP, just uh, the the level, the the talent that they had, just kind of made me realize. Okay, maybe maybe I don't have it. Maybe I won't play in the major leagues after all. So, I, I played to have fun a couple of years after that, and then one day when uh, I was doing both the hitting coach slash player, uh, when the Michelle decided surprised everybody by saying that he was he was done, he was gonna step up and just take the president job, and then I was offered the job. I figured, man, if I wanna if I wanna stay in this in this uh, world. Uh, for a while, I, I better take this job because you never know if it's going to come by again. So I, I jumped on it and never regretted it. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to still be talking with Quebec Capitals manager Pat Scalabrini and going more into his career and his days as a manager. Well, that's all coming up next on Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 1071. Hey guys, this is Andrew Cooper from Bell River, Ontario, and you're listening to Around the Diamond with Diamond Dante on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to the 34th edition of Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9. As before, we were talking with manager Pat Scalabrini. Still joining me over the phone is Quebec Capitals manager Pat Scalabrini and former infielder with the Orioles system. Also played with the Winnipeg Gold Eyes and the Capitals back in his playing days. You know, you speak about going uh, as a manager. You you, you you hit some home runs. You're talking about guys that, that are you not hitting any bombs in BP, but you hit 20 home runs in 2004, so you had some power. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I think I, I understood the, the, the player I was after a while. Like, I started my career as a leadoff. I was stealing a bit more bases back then. And then uh, I was always a student of the game. It sounds cliche, but I mean, I, I always carried my uh, notebook. I took notes uh, about every single pitcher I faced, every single pitch that I saw, actually, with every count kind of deal. So I, I got better as I uh, was able to have a much better plan. And uh, I don't know, later in my career, I kind of figured it out a bit, and my numbers, went, my stats went up pretty quickly. So I had some, some pretty good years, yes. So in 2003, you had went to play for Team Canada at the national stage in the World Cup. What was that experience like? It was great. It was great. I mean, again, I, I always loved traveling. I uh, I used baseball to see the world a bit. You know, I played in Australia. I I played in Hawaii. I uh, I went to the World Cup in Cuba, and all that. So um, the the experience with Team Canada was amazing. That was my only chance to uh, represent the, the country. Uh, played against you know uh, different countries. Played against Cuba and Cuba, which was amazing. So uh, again, I didn't do as well as I would have hoped, uh, but uh, played with some really really good players. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, just in, in these trips in Cuba recently, I, I talked to guys on that team that kicked their ass. That was, uh, that was fun to kind of reminisce uh, on those days. One guy that must have kicked your butt was Alexander Maeda. Yeah, you know, I... I'm not. He must have been on that team. I just don't know for sure. I just I, I was we're close to the Goriel family, so I talked to uh, to Yulis with who's in the show now, yep. and he he was on that team, and I think he actually uh, crushed us pretty good. That was uh, his beginning because he's a bit younger than me, so that's when he started on the uh, international stage. So that was one of the conversations we had in uh, broken Spanish. So. Obviously, you know, for myself as a kid growing up, I've really, uh, you know, admired a lot of Canadian baseball players, you know, that play the game because there's, you know, there's not that many that go to the major league level. But when I find out that there's guys, you know, being very good, not only at the indie level, but in the minor league level, it makes me kind of happy about the country itself. When you went to go play in 2003 at the World's Baseball Club, who are some of the guys that you, you know, got to put the Canadian jersey on with? Um, there was it was a weird mix of uh, you know older and younger guys. There was the, the Butler brothers who were kind of late in their career that uh, played in the bigs a bit, uh, and then a lot of younger guys like the Ivan Nakarada that had a, quite a good career. Uh, uh, Phil Devay was a Triple A guy. Uh, a lot of guys that played up to Double A, Triple A. Julian Tucker. Um, so yeah, and some some indie ball guys, Max Poulin, who was with the Tree Rivers for a bit, was on that team as well. So it was a kind of intriguing mix. Uh, yeah. So my question to you is: Did you end up crossing paths with Mike Kasavich? I did. I did. Uh, I don't. I don't think it was on that team, but uh, I saw him when I was playing in the Northern League. I think it was a coach somewhere. Like uh, to be honest, it's been. Uh, I've had a lot of teammates and. Uh, guys I've played against, but I, I did uh, meet and uh, know him a bit. Yeah, because he's from the Ottawa area and actually had coached me in high school, so that was you know that was my question. Nice. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was a, he's a teacher now. At uh, he was he was a uh, gym teacher at my high school and taught and coached me in baseball. So I just wanted to ask you that. Um. So my question to you is when you know when you're a manager, my, you know my question to a lot of managers that have come on the show, especially you know TJ, what was it like to, um to manage a team like the Quebec Capitals that went on such a tear with, you know, Boucher, uh, Balbino, Fumior, uh, Jonathan Malo, you know, those are three of the biggest names that, that I've noticed. Even, you know, Eric Jelena was an excellent uh, pitcher for you guys. What was it like for you to manage, you know, that team and know that every year you had a shot to win the championship as you won so many in a row? Uh, it was it was great, and at the same time, it was almost... Uh surreal just because I, I started my career with five straight championship right so it's uh you come to expect it every year and almost don't realize how tough it is really so um i mean i played my last year we won the championship and then i was the manager right away so there was some players on that same on that team that were my teammates before so there was a big adjustment there to be made uh so you know it's quite a learning process now that we've we've lost the last couple of years it's uh it's kind of like we start from the beginning and really try to understand what's going what, what goes wrong and what we're doing well and all that so it's uh it's difficult it makes us uh, realize how special it was to to be there at the time and uh, even more makes us want to makes us want it even more yeah, of course, Jonathan Malo, when he came on two weeks ago, he said that it was almost like, you know, having pressure or some weight on your shoulders to say, all right, we got to repeat once again. We got to win this the, the same year as, as he did. He won a few uh, with you guys. 
So my question to you, Pat, is I want to ask you about, you know, some of the guys that you have brought into Affiliated Ball. When you got the manager job, did you feel that you had enough contacts, enough connections to bring guys in and then send them back to where they came from? Yes and no. It's it's such a strange world. You never really know, you know, the needs and how how that's going to work. Uh, more and more you realize that we we put a good product out there and you you're as honest as you can as far as uh, with affiliated team and trying to promote your players that it kind of happens on its own and people will come to you and obviously you develop some some contacts so we've had a good run at uh, sending players back and when you're honest when and and provide a good report about the players it's much easier after that to kind of uh, push that a step further so um, yeah, it's, a, it's still a still a learning process. We're we're uh, we're working with that, but uh, again, we've we've been uh, doing uh, okay on that front. One of the better players to come out of this league in the last few years has been Balbino Fumior, who is with the Royals right now at the age 26, playing first base in AAA. Now he most likely probably going to make the major leagues next next year after you know 20 plus home runs in AAA. Uh, but when he played with you guys, I believe over 100 RBIs. At uh, 360, 370 average. You guys didn't make the playoffs, even when Boucher hit, you know, 350 above. Well, I mean, of course, besides the season, what was it like to manage a guy like Balbimo Fumior, who is most likely going to make the major leagues at this point? It was it was special from the beginning. I mean, Balbino had, you know, had arguably one of the best years ever in the, in this league, right? So he had the. You know, uh, 99 RBIs. I think he tied our, our doubles record with over 30, with 23 home runs. It's just this guy's a machine. He, he's just the guy knows how to hit. He did the same in AAA and Double A. It had a bit of a rougher year this year with the injury and all that, but you know, it's it's gonna happen. So it's one of those things where you, the world stops and we all stare at him when he comes to the plate because you know something really special might happen. So that was uh, something that um, I, I feel fortunate to have witnessed during that season almost like an art charles yeah it's a very good a good a good example it's the same type of, of season absolutely um i think balbino is better looking so uh that, that was more fun on our end <laughs> oh of course he i mean for you guys you guys don't want to play against our charles 29 <laughs> home runs 103 rbis and in, in 95 games played this year hit uh three three forty, 340 i believe uh, I mean, it doesn't even matter because of the power numbers that he put up. But I want to see if you can answer this question as best as possible. Now, as a manager, especially, you know, you were a player. You would see guys get cut, get released, get traded. As a manager, how do you best, you know, go and tell the player, bring him in and say, you know, listen, this is how it's going to be. How do you send him out that way? Because it's almost been, it's almost like a, like a cutthroat business in, in baseball and in independent leagues. And what a lot of people out there that might be listening don't know is that you know it's not all fun and games you, there's you, if you don't play well see you later no exactly it's it's tough because uh on one on one side guy get released from affiliated ball and you promise him you know it's uh, come here you'll have a blast it's kind of uh, we actually play to win here a lot more than uh, it's not a development league it's you Correct, come here yeah. you play you have a you have a blast kind of deal 
But at the end of the day, it is the league of the last chance. You don't do well; it's it's the end of your career. It's not it's not you getting released here, and you know you'll have a, you'll have a bunch of phone calls after. So it's it's a bit tough that way. Uh, we try to keep guys here fo- uh, focused uh, by just saying that: just come here, have a blast, see see where it takes you. Uh, take the pressure away. Just come here, try to win, try to win some ball games, win a championship, and try, you know, trust me, uh, good things will happen. That's Pat Scalabrini here with us on Around the Diamond. Now, Pat, you know, a little segue to that question. When you bring in a guy like a veteran, like for example Jordan Leonardton, uh, you know, off your last answer, obviously Leonardton, Leonardton, you know, produced very well for you guys at first base, played good defense, and you know, played AAA before. But when you have a veteran that's, you know, had played AAA or AA or whatever and comes down here and struggles and can't really seem to find the plate, what do you kind of do and to help him? What, how do you show him that, you know, listen, you can still produce like you did in the, in the past few years? It's it's a good question. You got to be a psychologist at times. You got to be the biggest supporter in the world at times. Sometimes you got to give some tough love. So it's it's rough. You got to figure out the right approach, obviously. Uh, but at the end of the day, stats don't lie, right? So a guy like Jordan Leonardton, with the, the the career that he's had, if if the guy is healthy and somewhat happy in his in his heart and in his he's at the right place in his head, he is going to produce. So it's a matter of being patient, I believe. If if he struggles a bit at first, because it happens that guys come here thinking it's going to be a lot easier than it really is, and so there's there is an adjustment there. So again, I believe in stats. I believe in you know the resume of the guys that you know don't really lie. So a guy again that's played AAA with success will have success in this league. So it's just a matter of making sure he's comfortable, at the right uh, uh, right mindset kind of deal. And Pat, before we go, I want to ask you about you know what Jonathan Malo has meant to your team. Now, when when I talked to Jonathan two weeks ago, he had said you know uh, not only playing under you know when you're here, it's almost like he's helping you you know recruit players. And what when Jordan Leonardton came on my show, he said, oh yeah, it was just uh, you know Malo sending me a Facebook message say, hey, you want to come play for us? You want to win a championship? Oh yeah, sure, Quebec, come down. You you know you brought in guys like Max Tissenbaum. How nice is it to have a guy like Malo with? you know, as many connections as he does enough to go out and send a Facebook message and say, Hey, listen, come play for us. It's very important. Cause I mean, I, I do know that I'm not that cool. So, <laughs> um, I know that it, the impact is a lot bigger. If one of my players, uh, you know, reach reaches out to someone just telling them that Quebec's cool, that uh, the manager is not, not too bad. And, uh, <laughs> You know, you will have a, a good time. So I, it's it's kind of my approach. I always try to find one of my guys from the inside reaching out to a guy that they know before I do. So uh, I don't I don't sound like a dirty salesman saying, yeah, of course Quebec's cool. Come here, I'm I'm awesome and all that. So if uh, if I have a player that reaches out to the guy to tell him how Quebec is in reality, then when I call, it's a bit easier to do my my sales pitch. Now your good friend Seb Boucher is maybe doing something like that down here in Ottawa. Yeah, yeah, I'm not super happy with that because they're probably stealing some of our players. But uh, you know, he's uh, he's okay that one. Well, I ju- you just made me think about another question before we go. Um, of course, I believe it was Baseball Canada came down and took a picture of your team in Ottawa. It seems like you guys are, you know, you're not the Quebec Capitals. You're, you know, your team Canada down there. What do you got? Like nine, twelve guys on the team that are from Canada? Yeah, we. Uh, it, it's it's kind of been my thing. Uh, Back in the days before, you know, TR, before Ottawa, there was, we were kind of the one Canadian team. So we made a point to 
be a little bit of Team Canada trying to beat beat up on the Americans and uh, it was <coughs> excuse me it was our, our, our uh, kind of a pride thing where we'd go there and beat up on them and they you know uh, we've had a few experiences where the guys said huh you uh, you Canadians can play huh because we were in first place a year after year so it was kind of a kind of our thing and we uh, went to war together so that that was our our thing back then now there's more Canadian teams so it kind of ruins my plan so I got to figure something else out I guess well that's why I've been such a big fan of you guys because you bring in all these Canadian guys I told Hal that uh, you know we got to bring in some more Canadian we only got two on the team so I uh, maybe 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 next year uh, the champions bring some more Canadian guys because it's uh, obviously baseball Canada is doing a great job with uh, bringing in new talent yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I just uh, hope uh, <laughs> I'll still uh, have the edge on that. But uh, I agree with you. I mean, the, the more uh, the more Canadians uh, that can play at that next level, the more kids will identify to it, and then uh, baseball in Canada will just will only be better off. So, uh, no, I, I'm with you on that. Well, there you have it, Manager Pat Scalabrini of the Quebec Capitals. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for taking the time. A long, long, lengthy interview with a lot of great content. I appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again and seeing you with the Capitals this season, seeing what kind of moves you make this offseason. Awesome. It was my pleasure. Anytime. That was manager of the Quebec Capitals, Pat Scalabrini, joining us here on Around the Diamond. Excellent interview with him and a lot to talk about there. We'll touch base with him uh, throughout the offseason. But coming up next, we're going to be joined with Les Animal, the Cuban shortstop for the Rockland Boulders hit 360 this year. Mr. Junior Arroyo, known as the Animal, uh, will join us in our next segment to talk about his. That's all coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Hey, guys. Shortstop Junior Arroyo with the Rockland Boulders. You're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to the 34th edition of Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9. I'm your host, Diamond Dante. Before, we were talking with Quebec Capitals manager Pat Scalabrini. Now joining me over the phone is the guy who plays against Pat in the Can-Am League. But for Rockland, it's star shortstop Junior Arroyo, or better known as the Animal. Junior, brother, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How you doing? I'm doing excellent, Junior. And of course... um, I had asked you about this earlier, but uh, what? How do they call you the animal in Spanish? Your nickname? El animal. Where did you get that from? A couple of years ago, my first year in pro ball, uh, you know, some of the teammates, some of the older guys, I was, uh, I guess, I was one of the younger guys. So the older guys, uh, they said that I play like an animal, and then it kind of just stuck. Now, my question to you: You're you're of a Cuban descent, um, so. I want to ask you about your experience with that because was it your you know your family kind of coming over from Cuba to Miami? How did how did they end up coming over and what what's that story behind things? Yeah, my dad came over um, when he was around fourteen, fifteen years old. So I was actually I was actually born in Miami. So the whole you know obviously my parents are Cuban, but I didn't have to go through through any of um, you know tough circumstances. Them, you know, the Cuban players have to go through because I was actually born in Miami. So I guess when you see all the Cuban players around the Can-Am League, you know, you can kind of go around and talk to them and, you know, have that experience? Oh, yeah, it's awesome. They, uh, they're always super friendly with me. And um, so it's, it's obviously, it's fun to see, 
you know, where you come from and how they play the game. And even though I was never, you know, I never played in Cuba, they always give me compliments of, that I play the game like a like I was in Cuba. So it's like kind of like a, a pat in the back. Even though I was never over there, I, they always say I play like a Cuban player. So that's always fun to hear. Now, Junior, you're not the biggest guy. Five foot nine, uh, 175 pounds. You, you're a shortstop, probably about the, that type of build for that type of position. But did you ever feel growing up that you know people were saying that you're a little bit too small to play this game? Oh yeah, um, most definitely. Especially, you know, in high school, I was, uh, you know, I wasn't even five nine. I, I think I I got to five nine like my senior year in high school. So before that, I was always, uh, you know, five seven, five six range playing high school. I, I was playing well. And I put up good numbers, but um, you know, I was I was short, I was skinny, and uh, it didn't get to, like it didn't start probably in college when I started, you know, getting a lot stronger. But um, obviously, the height I stayed at five nine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my my whole career it's always been I you know I'm too short, I'm too um, you know too skinny, too scrawny. Um, so you know, I kind of used that to to fuel me, you know, especially in the weight room and in the off season. You know the way I train. I, I use all those um, those negative comments about me to help me, you know, push through workouts. Now you didn't have to go too far. You didn't have have to really leave home. You went to Florida International University, and then you signed with the Frontier League at the age of 23 in 2011. Um, so did you kind of miss out the out of the draft at that point? Yeah. So I played, um, you know, four years at FIU. Thought I was going to get drafted after my junior year. Um, didn't get drafted. Uh, my senior year, I got hurt. You know, pulled my hammy, broke my finger. So, you know, I I played through it. You know, I played my senior year through it, and then uh, yeah, I didn't get drafted that year, that summer. And I actually took that summer off, and uh, just kind of rehabbing and getting my my body back. And that's when I came to play the next year, following year. Rockland Boulder's shortstop, Junior Arroyo, here with us on Around the Diamond. Now, Junior, you know when you First broke into the Frontier League, you, you played pretty much every day at shortstop, 86 games in 2011, but it seems like you really broke out on the Frontier League when you played 93 games, you hit 302. So I want to ask you about the Frontier League in general. I've had a lot of people's opinions saying, you know, it's a young man's league. It's a little bit lower than Can-Am League and the American Association. What are your thoughts on the Frontier League, you know, after playing three years there? Yeah, I would have to agree. It's definitely a young man's league. Um you got a lot of young guys. Um, some of the the experience levels are obviously aren't, you know, in the, like how they are in the Can-Am League. But um, you know, I mean, there's talent everywhere. That's one thing I always say. Doesn't matter where you go, you're gonna find players everywhere. Um, just I would say that the pitching, um, you know, they would uh, they would pitch a little bit. I, I don't want to say I don't want to say young, but they would just you know they don't really they didn't really have a grasp of how they wanted to attack hitters. They kind of were just throwing. Um, but, again, like, there's there's players everywhere. And um, and so was I. When I was in the Frontier League, I was a young hitter as well. So, you know, the older I got, you know, I started to actually learn the game a little bit more. And I'm sure that those pitchers, the more innings that they pitch, obviously they, they start to understand the game and understand what they're good at, what they're bad at, and things like that. So, Junior, of course, I believe the max age in the Frontier League is 26. Is that correct? Um, I think it's 20, yeah, 26 or 27. I'm really not sure. So, of course, you had left the Frontier League, you know, after your age 25 season and went over to, I believe, the Atlantic League. Is that is? Did you go to the Atlantic League first or Rockland? No, I went to Rockland. Um, 
that uh, right after the the Frontier League, I won a championship with Rockland, and then after the season, I uh, I went over to the Atlantic League and finished the year with uh, the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. So I want to ask you about your first season with Rockland. You guys had quite the team, of course. You won the championship that year. That was the year that you know, you know, Stephen Cardulo was on your team, and I want to ask you about Stephen Cardulo because you had played with him for for two years now. Won a world or won a, a championship with him, and now what's it like for you as a, you know a younger guy in this league to say, hey, I played with a guy at the age of 28 to go and play for the that's playing for the Rockies right now because Cardulo got called up. He had a great, uh, be, believe it was his uh, first game. He had a home run. Um, did, uh, pit, or sorry, played some good outfield with um, uh, the uh, Colorado Rockies. So what's it like for you to say, you know what, I played with this guy and I spent a lot of time with him. I mean, obviously, it's it's amazing. Um, another thing people don't know is I actually played with Cardula when I was um, 19 years old. We played uh, sub college summer baseball together in Covington, Virginia, for the Covington Lumberjacks, and that's the first time I got to meet Cardulo. You know, and since he's from South Florida, we obviously you know created a relationship that way. And then um, I actually played with him in the Frontier League as well for half a year. He ended up getting traded, and um, played half the year with us and then the following year I actually ended up with Rockland with him so I've, I've actually played with Cardula since I was 18 19 years old and to see a guy I'm telling you right now this guy um, all you could say is this guy works his, his butt off and to see how, how much better he's gotten since we we're you know 19 years old in summer in the summer you know college baseball to see how much better he's gotten is honestly something remarkable, and that just goes to show you how hard he's worked. And um, it's amazing that that at 28 years old, um, when everybody told him he couldn't do it, um, he 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 did it. He made it to the big leagues. And I remember last year when we were in in Rockland together. Um, you know, after the year, you know, he would always say, I mean, th- I mean, throughout the year, he would always say, "I'm a big leaguer. I'm a big leaguer. I'm a big leaguer." And it's really hard for somebody in independent baseball to call themselves a big leaguer all the time. And that's what he did. And he not only did he say it, but he truly, truly believed it. He didn't care what anybody thought about him. He went out there every day and, um, you know, busted his butt. And look at him now. He's uh, he, he made it. And to, to do something great and to be great, sometimes you just have to um, – not sometimes. You actually have to not care how anybody th- – you know, what anybody thinks, not care how anybody's going to look at you. You just got to go out and you got to do your job and you kind of got to be a little crazy. And um, <laughs> that's the way I would, that's the way I would describe Cardulo. So a little bit of inspiration for Cardulo, not only to yourself and, you know, some of the guys that have played with him, but, you know, people across the Can-Am League and the Indy Leagues, because he came, like you said, out of the Frontier League to the Can-Am League, worked his way up to AAA and then now to the majors. Yes, definitely a lot of inspiration um, for any, any young guys or not even any any guys that are still playing that are listening to this, just you never know. You honestly never know. Um, so if that doesn't inspire you, I don't know what else will. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, I, I talked to a couple guys, and they said, you know what? Car- the reason why Cardulo is playing in the major leagues is because he worked hard, and they say, you know what? That's my inspiration at some of the guys that I talked to just on the field during the summer. Shortstop Junior Rojo will be back. In going into our, our final segment of Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9. He's going to be talking about playing in Australia and some of the experiences that he had there. That's all coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9.
Hey guys, shortstop Junior Rojo with the Rock and Boulders. You're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079. Welcome back to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 1079, Ottawa's new music. I'm your host, Diamond Dante. Still joining me over the phone is Junior Arojo for our final segment of Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 1079. Remember, folks, next week... Uh, Reggie Abercrombie and Josh Wood will be coming on uh, to talk about their careers. Josh Wood is a barber. Reggie Abercrombie played in the major leagues, but we'll get right back to Junior Rojo. Uh, Junior, uh, but I want to ask you about when you went over to play in Australia last year. You only played six games. What was that experience like? Because obviously playing for Perf in the Australian Baseball League might seem a little bit different you know, in terms of the style of play than the American style. Yeah, it was fun. Obviously, um, you know, when you, you get a phone call asking to go play in Australia, uh, you're going to say yes. So at that time, um, they called me late. Um, it was like the middle of their season. So, you know, I flew up on Christmas Day. You know, I was the whole Christmas Day, I was actually in an airport, um, you know, in a layover. But once I got there, you know, right, right when I got there, I played a doubleheader. I played well. And, you know, unfortunately, the first day there after a long, you know, 36 hours of traveling, I ended up tweaking my, my quad mm. and, you know, I was just in and out of the lineup. But, um, you know, again, like I said earlier in the segment, um, there's, there's players everywhere. And when you're in Australia and you see players from obviously from Australia and you see players from literally across, you know, from everywhere, um, it's just fun to, to be around uh, all that talent. And, uh, it was definitely a good experience and, you know, I get to I got to see Australia, so can't complain there. No, you can't. I guess you're right about that. But I want to go back and ask you about when you played for the the Blue Crabs in the in the uh, Atlantic League. Obviously, you know, they call you the animal, but the league that you were playing is a whole new animal, according to a lot of players that I've talked to. Uh, what was it like to go over to you know play for the Blue Crabs in the Atlantic League and you know sit on the bench with a whole bunch of guys that had been to the majors and played at the highest level? That was uh that was extremely fun, man. I I enjoyed it. You know, you you show up there, and you know you're you're basically the young guy, and you you have all, you see all these guys with big league experience, and and then you play with them and you compete with them and you know you you realize that you know it doesn't matter where you've been. There's there's ball players everywhere, and and me just being a competitive guy. I don't care. If you know if we're playing a video game, we're playing Monopoly. I'm gonna try to beat you, and I don't care where you've been. And uh, you know it was fun. It was it was a good experience for me. I played extremely well in the limited time that I was there. Um, but it was a good experience. I got a lot of respect from from um, those older guys. You know the guys with big league time. They showed me a lot of respect. They showed me, you know, or they told me how good I was. And you know, hearing things like that. You know, it's amazing to hear that from, from veteran guys. Um, but at the end of the day, if you don't have confidence in yourself, you have no chance. So, um, But it was a good time. It was fun, and I enjoyed it. Star shortstop Junior Arroyo here with us on Around the Diamond. Now, I want to move over to this season. Of course, you, you guys did really well with the Rockland Boulders, and you went to the Can-Am League Finals against the Ottawa Champions who were up. You guys were up two games to none. And the champions came back and won three. Now, obviously, just from an you know an outside standpoint, from you know broadcasting you and watching this series, it seems like the games were so tight that it wasn't even going to end. You know, you guys weren't even going to sweep the champions because 
the games were so tight. It was, you know, one-run ball games, uh, you know, hits in the ninth inning. It was you, you know, stealing a base and, and hitting the ball out of the ballpark. But when you played that, you know, that third game, probably one of the craziest baseball games that I've ever seen, when you hit that, I believe you hit a three-run home run off young Carlos Hill and said, you know what? Grand slam, right? Yeah, I hit a grand slam. It was a grand slam, yeah. And it was Schleyhuber yeah. who hit the, the other one, right? Yeah. So what was the team thinking at that point? Uh, that, I'm really curious to know because obviously you guys had a huge lead and then the champions came back and showed that, you know, they don't want to back down. Yeah, well, I mean, but the first two games, yeah, we were up 2-0. But um, obviously those games were, like you said, they, you flip a coin, we're down 0-2. Um, you know, it was it was those it was that close of a of a game those first two games. So game three, I I told everybody this is the game we have to put them out now. Because um, remember the 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 series before we played Quebec and we were down 0-2. Yeah. And I remember and I remember telling everybody, hey, they better sweep us. They better sweep us because if we win game three, we're gonna come back and we're gonna win it all. I mean, we're gonna you know win that series. Ended up that's what happening. So when we were playing. Against Ottawa, I said the same thing. I go, hey, we're up, we're up two games. This is the game to win right here. This is the game to win. And then obviously we're up seven. I think it was seven one yeah. after the grand slam after that inning in the in the fifth or sixth. And at that point, you know, you taste it uh, as a you know as a player, especially you know my fiance actually showed up for that game. You know, she was actually, you know, home, and, and once we won in Ottawa game two, she showed up for that game. So, you know, I hit that grand slam. We're up seven, you know, one or seven, two, and you literally can taste it. And, um, you know, I just, it was, I knew they weren't going to back down, but uh, it was definitely, it was definitely uh, tough when we lost that game because I knew it. Like, that was the game that we had to win. And obviously, and, uh, yeah. But, but you know, Ottawa, like like you said, they, that, that's the team that they had. I knew they weren't going to back down. They got too much, too much character on that team, and mm. it starts from the top um, with, you know, with how. So um, I knew they weren't going to back down, but uh, oh, that one hurt. That one definitely hurt. <laughs> well, obviously, a couple months, you know, down the road now that we do talk about it, you, you've had a chance to kind of look back at it, and it seems like, you know, for yourself to say, you know what, I've played in one of the craziest series ever, one of the craziest games that I've ever seen. Even myself, you guys, I believe you had so many runners on and, and you know, my boy Andrew Cooper pitching against you guys. And again, he it was a nail biter. I remember watching it here in Ottawa and, you know, all the way till 12 o'clock at night. And I had to be at school at five in the morning and uh, work in the game. So it was definitely uh, quite a scene. But um, if you could take one thing away from that series, what, what could you take going into next year? Um, just... Uh... I don't know. I, I honestly, from that series, I mean, I I play the game one way. You know, I play the game hard, and um, I don't want to say because I know me personally. I didn't. Once we were up seven one that game, I didn't let down. I wasn't like, oh, it's over. But I just, you know, basically tell you know, tell my guys, tell my team, and just let them know that that you, it, you know, you never know. You could come in as the fourth seed. You could come in as the first seed. You could be the best team in the regular season. You can have the best team on paper, but the game that we play of baseball, it's crazy. And um, you know, you need heart. You need you need um, you know that's what you need for a team, and and you need character. And and uh, you know, Ottawa obviously I wanted to win. You know, I wanted to win the championship, but Ottawa had you know a lot of character, a lot of heart, and I respect those guys, and I congratulate those guys. And 
uh, it was fun. It was a great series, and you know, I, I don't take it back because, like you said, I was part of something that I, I, I'll never forget that series. And I'm sure everybody that was on that field, and I'm sure everybody that was watching, um, won't forget that series as well. Now, Junior, before we go, I want to I want to mention something to you. Of course, obviously, you know the the passing of Jose Fernandez. You guys are both from the Miami area. You both descent of Cuba. Obviously, he had been he was born in Cuba. You know, came over here. We know the story behind that. But for me, if there's one person that reminds me of Jose Fernandez, it's you because of not only the way you play the game, but just you know the way you carry yourself on the field. Just from watching BP and walking around and you know watching you know the Boulders and and yourself, the way you guys do things. What, how much of an inspiration was Jose Fernandez to you, you know, growing up and watching him play? Uh, first of all, that's, that's one of the biggest compliments um, I could ever get, so I thank you for that. But, uh, yeah, just growing up, my, my dad would always, um, you, know, you know, tell me that I, you know, I have to enjoy this game. Not just the game, I have to enjoy life. And that's one thing that I've always, you know, obviously, you know, I've always tried to do. And not many people can do what you know what I do or you know not not many people can say they're 28 years old and they're playing baseball you know and they're getting paid for it so yeah you know the the game is tough but you know just try to enjoy it and like the same thing with Jose Fernandez uh, rest in peace but like you know not many people have you know are blessed throwing 100 miles an hour and, <laughs> and could play in front of you know thousands of people so he enjoyed it no matter if he pitched well if he was if he was pitching you know bad he enjoyed it, and um, seeing that, um, you know, was amazing because there's not many, there's not too many players that play with that much joy. Uh, so I definitely, I definitely looked up to him as well. And you know, the it was a sad, sad incident that happened. Obviously, it hit home. He's Cuban. He's from Miami, um, so it definitely hit home. Um, but that goes to show you, you just gotta enjoy, enjoy every, every minute every second that, that we're out here on this earth, man, because you never know. You honestly never know. And, and when you're on a baseball field, I mean, you're truly blessed, whether you're, you know, playing in the Frontier League, in the Can-Am League, or if you're playing in the big leagues. At the end of the day, you still have a uniform on, and you're still playing in front of fans, and, you know, you still have people can, and kids watching you and looking up to you. So smile, man. Have a good time. Uh, we're only here once. So uh, that's, the, you know, my whole life, that's how I, I try to attack it each day. And um, I try to do the same thing on the baseball field. Hey, once again, that's going to wrap up uh, this interview. Junior, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you on. And uh, best of luck going into next year with the Rockland Boulders. Thank you. Thank you. Can I give a shout-out to my fiance Taylor? We uh, actually just recently got engaged last weekend. So just want to give her a little shout-out. That was star shortstop Junior Orojo from the Rockland Boulders. A great interview with him. And that's going to wrap up. The 34th edition of Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9. It is October 5th, and I thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Junior Arroyo. I want to thank uh, Pat Scalabrini for coming on. But next week, I promised that Reggie Abercrombie would come on this week, but Reggie's going to come on next week to talk about his time in the big leagues with the Florida Marlins, the Houston Astros, and winning the championship with the Winnipeg Gold Dice. That's all coming up next week on Around the Diamond. But thank you so much for listening. You can check myself out on Twitter at Diamond underscore Dante. And you can look at my SoundCloud for past episodes of uh, Diamond Dante Audio. Thank you so much for listening to the 34th edition of Around the Diamond. We'll see you next week.